Chapter Twenty Four of the Chautauqua Girls at Home. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. The Chautauqua Girls at Home by Pansy. Chapter Twenty Four. Loneliness. I suppose there has never been an earnest worker, an enthusiast on any subject in this changeful world, but has been a victim at some time to the dismalness of a reaction. The most forlorn little victim that could be imagined was Flossy Shipley on that evening after the meetings, on which her soul had fed so long, were closed. Everything in nature and in circumstances conspired to sink her into her desolate mood. In the first place it was raining. Now a rain closing in upon a warm and dusty summer day is a positive delight. One can listen to the pattering drops with a sense of eager satisfaction, but a rain in midwinter, after a day of sunless mist and fog almost amounting to rain, when the streets are at that mixture of snow and water that can be known only as slush, when every opening of a door sends in gusts of damp air that chill to one's very bones, this weather is a trial. At least it seemed such to poor little Flossy. She shivered over the fire in the coal grate. It glowed brightly, and the room was warm and bright, yet to Flossy there was a sense of chill in everything. She was all alone, and the circumstances connected with that loneliness were not calculated to brighten the evening for her. The entire family had gone out to a party, not one of those quiet little entertainments which people had been so careful to explain and apologize for during the meetings, but a grand display of toilet and supper and expenditure of all kinds. Mrs. Westervelt, the hostess, being at all times noted for the display of her entertainments, had lavished more than the usual amount of time and money on the present ones, and waited for the meetings to close with the most exemplary patience, in order that she might gain a very few among her guests from those who felt the impropriety of mixing things too much. To be sure, the society in general which was admitted to Mrs. Westervelt's parlors was not from that class who had any scruples as to what time they attended parties, but there were two or three notable exceptions, and those the lady had been anxious to claim. Prominent among them had been the Erskines, it never seeming to occur to Mrs. Westervelt's brains that there could be other excuse found for not accepting her invitation, save the meetings that Ruth had taken to attending in such a frantic manner. Let me say in passing that neither Ruth Erskine nor her father honored the invitation. They had other matters to attend to. Meantime, Flossie Shipley had utterly disgusted her mother, and almost offended her father, by giving a peremptory and persistent refusal. Such a storm of talk as there had been over this matter, almost exhausted the strength of poor little Flossie, who did not like argument, and who yet could persist in a most unaccountable firm manner when occasion required. Such an absurd idea, her sister Kitty said, flashing contemptuous eyes on her. I wonder what you think is going to become of you, Flossie. Do you mean to mope at home all the rest of the winter? I assure you that Mrs. Westervelt is not the only one who intends to give a party. We are going to have an unusually gay season to revive us after so much bell-tolling. Don't you mean to appear anywhere? You might as well retire into a convent at once if that is the case." People will be saying of me, as they do of Mrs. Treslam, soon, that I do not allow you to appear in society while Kitty is still a young lady. 
This Mrs. Shipley said, and her tone, if not as sharp as Kitty's, had a note of grievance in it that was hard to bear. Then Charlie had taken up the theme. What is the use in turning mope, sis? I am sure you can be as good as you like and go to a party occasionally. I don't mean to mope, Charlie, Flossy said, trying to speak cheerfully, but there were tears in her eyes and a tremulous sound in her voice. I am truly happier at home than I am at those places. I don't like to go. It is not entirely because I feel I ought not. It is because I don't want to. She has risen above such follies, Kitty said, and it is impossible to tell you what a disagreeable inflection there was to her voice. Mother, I am sorry that the poor child has to associate with such volatile creatures as you and I. She ought to have some kindred spirit. I am sure I don't know where she will find any, Mrs. Shipley said with a sigh. Outside of that trio of girls, who among them have contrived to make a perfect little slave of you. I am sure I don't know who has any influence over you. I used to think you regarded your mother's wishes a trifle, but I find I am mistaken. Oh, mother, Flossie said, and this time the tears began to fall. Why will you talk so? I am sure I try to please you in every way that I can. I did not know that you cared to have me go to parties, unless I wanted to go. Either the tears or something else made her brother indignant. What a scene about nothing, he said irritably. Why can't you let Flossie go to parties or not as she pleases? Parties are not such delightful institutions that she need be expected to be in love with them. I should be delighted if I never had to appear at another. Why not let people have their fun in this world where they choose to find it? If Flossie has lately discovered that hers can only be found in prayer meeting, I am sure it is a harmless enough diversion while the fit lasts. Mrs. Shipley laughed. Her son could nearly always put her into good humor. Besides, she didn't like to see tears on her baby's face. That was her pet name for Flossie. Oh, I don't know that it makes any serious difference, she said. Not enough to spoil your eyes over, Flossie. I don't want you to go out with us unless you want to. Only it is rather embarrassing to be constantly arranging regrets for you. Besides, I don't see what it is all coming to. You will be a moping, forsaken creature, old before your time, if this continues. As for Mr. Shipley, he maintained a haughty silence, neither expressing an opinion on that subject nor on any other, which would involve him in a conversation with Flossie. She knew that he was more seriously displeased with her than were any of the others, not so much about the parties as about other and graver matters. Colonel Baker was the son of Mr. Shipley's old friend. For this reason, and for several others, Mr. Shipley was very fond of him. It had long been in accordance with his plans that Flossie should become, at some future time, Mrs. Colonel Baker, and that the estates of the two families should be thus united. While he was not at all the sort of man who would have interfered to push such an arrangement against the preferences of the parties concerned, he had looked on with great and increasing satisfaction, while the plans of the young people evidently tended strongly in that direction. That his daughter, after an absence from home of only two weeks, should have come in contact with that which seemed to change all her tastes and views and plans, 
in regard to other matters, but which had actually caused her to turn, with a steady and increasing determination, away from the friend who had been her acknowledged protector and attendant ever since she was a child, was a matter that he did not understand nor approve. "'I am not a tyrant,' he would say sullenly, when Mrs. Shipley and himself talked the matter over, when she, with the characteristics of a mother, even while her child annoyed and vexed her, yet struggled to speak a word for her when a third person came in to blame. I never ordered Flossy to be so exceedingly intimate with Colonel Baker that their names have been coupled together ever since she was a baby. I never insisted on her accepting his attentions on all occasions. It was her own free will. I own that I was pleased with the inclination she displayed, and did what I could to make the way pleasant for her, but the thing is not of my planning. What I am displeased with is this sudden change. There is no reason for it, and no sense in it. It is just a mere baby performance, a girlish freak, very unpleasant for him and very disagreeable for us. The child ought not to be upheld in it. So they did their best not to uphold her, and succeeded among them in making her life very disagreeable to her. The matter had culminated on the evening before the party in question. Colonel Baker, despite the persistent and patient efforts on Flossie's part to show him the folly of his course, had insisted on obliging her to speak a decided negative to his earnestly pressed question. The result was an unusually unpleasant domestic scene and a general air of gloom and unhappiness. Mr. Shipley had not ordered his daughter to marry Colonel Baker. He would have been shocked beyond measure at such a proceeding on the part of a father, but he made her so unhappy, with a sense of his disappointment and disapproval, that more than once she sighed wearily, and wished in her sad little heart that all this living was over. Finally they all went off to Mrs. Westervelt's party, and left her alone. She had never felt so much alone in her life. The blessed meetings, which had been such a wealth of delight and helpfulness to her heart, were closed. The sweet and holy and elevating influences that had surrounded her outer life for so long were withdrawn. She missed them bitterly. It almost seemed to her as if everything were withdrawn from her. Father and mother, sister, and even her warm-hearted brother, were all more or less annoyed at her course. Charlie had been betrayed into more positive sharpness than his favorite sister had ever felt from him before. He felt that his friend Colonel Baker had been ill-treated. There was a very sore spot about this matter for Flossie. The truth was, she could not help seeing that in a sense her father was right. She had brought it on herself. Not lately, not since her utter change of views and aims, but long before that. With what satisfaction had she allowed her name to be coupled familiarly with that of Colonel Baker? How much she had enjoyed his exclusive attentions! Not that she really and heartily liked him, with a liking that made her willing to think of him as belonging to her forever. She had chosen, rather, not to allow herself to think of any such time. She had contented herself with saying that she was too young to think of such things that she was not obliged to settle that question till the time came. But, mind you, all the time she chose to allow and enjoy and encourage by her smiles and her evident pleasure in them very special attentions 
that gave other people liberty to speak of them almost as one. To call it by a very plain name, which Flossy hated, and which made her cheek glow as she forced herself to say it of herself, she had been flirting with Colonel Baker. It wasn't a nice word. I don't wonder that she hated it. Yet so long as young ladies continued to be guilty of the sort of conduct that can only be described by that unpleasant and coarse-sounding word, I am afraid it will be used. All that was over now, at least it was over as much as Flossie could make it, but there remained an uncomfortable sense that she had wronged a man who honestly loved her. Not intentionally, no decent woman does that, but thoughtlessly. So many silly girls do that. She had lost her influence over him now. Rather, she had been obliged to put herself in a position to lose all influence. She might have been his true, faithful friend now, and helped him up to a higher manhood, only by her former folly she had put it out of her power. These were not pleasant reflections. Then there was no denying that she felt very desolate. A forlorn, friendless creature, her mother had said she would become, or words to that effect. The thought lingered with her. She looked over her list of friends. There was always those three girls, growing dearer by every day of association, yet their lives necessarily ran much apart. It would naturally grow more and more so, as the future came to them. Then, too, she was equally intimate with each of them. They were all equally dear to her. Now a woman cannot have three friends who shall all fill that one place in her heart which she finds. She thought of her home ties, strong as they certainly were, growing stronger every day. There were few things that she did not feel willing to do for her father. But the one thing that he wanted just now was that she should marry Colonel Baker. She could not do that even to please him. He would recover from that state of feeling, of course, but would not other kindred states of feeling constantly arise, both with him and with her mother? Could she not foresee a constant difference of opinion on almost every imaginable topic? Then there was her sister Kitty. Could any two lives run more widely apart than hers and Kitty's were likely to? Had they a single taste in common? As for Charlie, Flossie turned from that subject. It was too sore and too tender a spot to be probed. She trembled for Charlie. He was walking in slippery places. The descent was growing easier. She felt that rather than sighed, and she felt, too, that his friend Colonel Baker was the leader, and she felt, too, that her intimacy with Colonel Baker had greatly strengthened his. No wonder that the spot was a sore one. Grouping all these things together and brooding over them, with no sound breaking the silence save the ceaseless drip, drip of the rain and the whirls of defiant wind, sitting there in her loneliness, the large armchair in which she crouched being drawn up before that glowing fire, is it any wonder that the firelight revealed the fact that great silent tears were slowly following each other down Flossie's round smooth cheek? She felt like a pitiful, lonely, forsaken baby. It was not that she was utterly miserable. She recognized even then the thought that she had an almighty, everlasting, unchanging friend. She rejoiced even then at the thought, not as she might have rejoiced, not as it was her privilege to do, but I mean she knew that all these trials and mistakes and burdens were but for a moment. 
she knew that to-morrow when the sun shone again she would be able to come out from behind these clouds and grasp some of the brightness of her life and endure with patience the little annoyances that were to be borne remembering that she was still very young and that there was a chance for a great deal of brightness for her even on this side but in the meantime her intensely human heart craved human companionship and sympathy craved it to such a degree that if it had not been for the rain and the darkness and the growing lateness of the hour she would have gone out then after one of those three girls to share her mood with her into the midst of this state of dismal journeying into the valley of gloom there pealed the sound of the bell it did not startle her the callers in their circle would be sure to be engaged at the party and to suppose that she was besides it was hardly an evening for ordinary callers something as important as a party was would be expected to call out people to-night it was someone with a business message for father she presumed and she did not arouse from her curled-up position among the cushions of that great chair half listening half giving attention to her own thoughts she was conscious that a servant came to answer the bell that the front door opened and shut that there was a question asked and answered in the hall then she gave over attending to the matter if she were needed the girl knew she was in the library yes she was to be summoned for something to receive the message probably for the library door quietly unclosed what is it katie she asked in a sort of muffled undertone to hide the traces of disturbance in her voice and not turning her head in that direction she knew there were tears on her cheeks suppose it should not be katie may any one else come in and tell you what it is this was the sentence wherewith she was answered what a sudden springing up there was from that chair even the tears were forgotten and what a singular ring there was to flossy's voice as she whirled round to full view of the intruder and said oh mr roberts now dear friends of this little lonely flossy are you so stupid that you need to be told that in less than half an hour from that moment she believed that there could never again come to her an absolutely lonely hour that whatever might come between them whether of life or of death there would be that for each to remember that would make it impossible ever to be desolate again for there is no desolation of heart to those who part at night to meet again in the morning there may be loneliness and a reaching out after and sometimes an unutterable longing for the morning but to those who are sure sure beyond the possibility of a doubt that the eternal morning will dawn and dawn for them there is never again a desolation End of chapter 24 Recording by Tricia G